0: added abroad. And now we'll start taking up the story there in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing The miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Now jump down to verse 26, if you will. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. Along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is desert, or a deserted place. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, preached Jesus to him. As they went down to the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's commit this time to the Lord, shall we? Help us, Father, now as we seek to understand some of the things that we believe this passage says and how they apply to us. Give us hearts that are open, that are receptive, that are responsive. I commit myself to you and each one who is here listening. And ask that you would accomplish your purposes and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'll look as you hold your finger in that passage that we've just read, find 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. It says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Keep that passage, put a little piece of paper in there, or do whatever you can because we want to go back and look at it uh, as we go through this passage in Acts the 8th chapter. A workman a workman, a labourer. A servant. That's really what the word means in the original language. A workman was a servant, someone who was willing to to do anything that needed to be done. And and Paul writing to Timothy says, Timothy, this is the kind of person that God is looking for someone who was willing to do anything that needs to be done. That's a workman. The story of Philip is one in which we see that taking place. You see, Philip was one of the seven that was chosen in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. You remember what took place there when uh, there was complaining because because the widow's needs weren't being met and some of the other things that, that needed to be done in the body there were not being taken care of. And so those who were teaching... The apostle said, seek for yourselves, pray and ask God to give you seven men of good repute who can handle these, these aspects of the ministry. We want to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. We feel that's what God has called us to. This was what the apostle said. And so they chose seven men and Philip was one of those. Now, now keep this in mind. Philip, this is the first time he appears. We know nothing about him before this. He was a layman. He wasn't someone who, who had a special gift of some kind. He wasn't someone who had special training. He was one of the group, one of the congregation, one of the body of believers that had grown up in those days. And he, he was willing to, to come and serve and be a worker. That's who Philip was. And we see what God seeks to do through him in this story that we've just read. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. And sometimes we we forget this. But reminding us, you and me, who are members of the body and followers of Jesus, he says, "You, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now that's God's job description for every member of the body. We have been called to show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I think sometimes we forget that a vital part of worship is the presenting of ourselves to God for him to use in any way he wants. Do you remember back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah has that experience where he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. Remember that? And then he said, I saw myself. And he said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then God sent that angel and took the the hot coal off the altar and cleansed his lips. And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Because God had said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. Now, that experience he had was a tremendously deep-moving, emotional, worshipful experience. To see the glory of the Lord and to have the experience of having himself cleansed in that way and made useful to God. Fantastic! It must have been, it must have been a, a tremendously exhilarating emotional experience of worship. But it was not complete until he said, Where am I? Send me. And as we gather to worship, and as we sing choruses and praises to God, and as we listen to the Word and are instructed, may we always keep in mind that we are a chosen generation to show forth the praises of the One who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Worship is not just this experience that we have, worship is presenting ourselves to God. Our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship. That's what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's our reasonable worship. Our act of worship. One day, we were living in San Jose in Costa Rica. I met a man, they brought him to my home, his name was Jorge, Jorge Chavez. It's interesting because my second surname is Chavez. In Spanish, my name is Jorge Sanchez Chavez. And here I meet this man with basically my same name. Jorge was an alcoholic. His life was a shambles. But by the grace of God, we began helping him and eventually he came to know the Lord and we kept helping him grow and he got personal help and time in fellowship groups and little by little, he developed and grew. And he began, Jorge had a job. He had a a sixth grade education. He wasn't a highly educated individual. He had a job as a bill collector for the uh, the local, the national aviation company, a company called Laxa. And he would go because people would buy tickets and then pay them off a month at a time. And he was the one who would go around and collect for the aviation company. And and so he was all over town continually. And he began to use those opportunities to show forth the praises of the one who had called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. First of all, people saw the change. They knew what he had been like. And they saw the change take place in his life. But then he began to take advantage of that opportunity and tell them how that change had taken place, showing the praises of the one who had called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. And little by little, God blessed his ministry. One day, some years later, I went back to Costa Rica. We had lived there for four years, came back to the United States, and I made a trip back on Another matter, and I was going on down to Brazil for some uh, business down there. And I stopped in Costa Rica and saw Jorge and, uh, and his family. Well, incidentally, he led his wife to the Lord and then his children, his mother. I had the privilege of baptizing all of them. And uh, uh, he had obviously an extended family, and God used him in that extended family. And uh, as I went back there, I was talking with Jorge one day. He says, Don Jorge, and you know, those of you who are Hispanic and from a Hispanic background know that's a, a term of respect, Don Jorge. Don Jorge, said, let me tell you something. Something happened last year that absolutely surprised me. I said, what was it? He said, well, I turned 50 last year, and my family wanted to give me a special celebration. And so they came, and they told me they were going to take me somewhere for a party. And I said, well, Fine. And they blindfolded me. And he thought, I wonder what they're doing. And then they drove me. And he said, I didn't know where we were going. I lost my direction. But eventually we ended up in front of this big building. And they took the blindfold off. And I said, what are we doing here? I expected they were going to take me to a restaurant, he said. Well, they walked into this building and it was full. Over 300 people there. All of them were people that Jorge Chavez had personally influenced toward Christ. An ex-alcoholic with a sixth grade education, no preparation biblically, but a workman, a workman, a servant who was willing to let God take his life and use it where he was and to show forth the praises of his glory and what he had done in his life. Well, let's go back to Philip here a minute. There are some things I want us to try and learn from this man. Back to chapter 8 then. The first thing we see about Philip was that he was tuned in to God. He was tuned in to God. God spoke to him. God talked to him and sent him There in that, uh, as we started the story in verse 26, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, and he was listening. He was on the right frequency, if you want to call it that. He was in communion with God. So that he heard and understood the voice of God. There, There was no static, if you please. To keep him from hearing God's voice, I worked at the a shortwave station in Ecuador for six years, uh, a Christian missionary radio station, uh, on their program department, and we used to broadcast in five different frequencies, reaching all over the world. People in Spain would hear us, and in Argentina, and all over, and. But in every place it was a different frequency. So first of all, you had to have the right kind of a receiver that would tune into that frequency, and then you had to find the right frequency. And you had to have a sufficiently good antenna so that you could block out the static. Otherwise the signal wouldn't come in very clearly. All of that applies to you and to me. You've got to have the right kind of receiver. We'd have to be in communion with God. We have to be listening. And then we have to be willing to cut out all interference. See, one of the problems that you and I face today is that we are so surrounded with so many voices calling for our attention. So many things that, that attract us all, all the time. We are a, a society of communications with an S not communication that's different we are poor communicators our interpersonal communication is not good sometimes but communications we have all kinds now we have fax machines where you can sit down type in a letter and within seconds they'll receive it in London, England or in Cairo, Egypt or in Tokyo, Japan or across the street. It'll come out of the machine, typed up, and there it is. I don't know how it all happens, but it happens. We are a generation of communications. And because of that, we are, we are assailed continually by voices of all kinds wanting our attention. Now, my friends, it takes discipline. It takes discipline to shut some of those out and take time to be in tune with what God wants to say. And sometimes we don't take that kind of time. Even, even when we go to the Scripture, sometimes we do it kind of running. We know we need, we need to read the Bible, so we pick it up, and as we drink our coffee, we read a verse real quickly and finish our coffee and we're off to work, and we, we even forget what we read. But we feel good because we did it. We haven't cut out. We haven't... Moved aside from some of those distractions to be tuned in. Well, Philip was tuned in. He heard the voice of God and he recognized it right away. There was no question. He didn't ask why. Interestingly enough, God said, I want you to go down toward Gaza, which is a desert place, a deserted place. There was nothing out there. Between where he was and Gaza, it was a desert road. There was nothing. But he didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, well, my Lord, there's really nothing out there to do. There's no one there to see. I can communicate with the cactus, maybe. But there's nothing out there. But he didn't. He didn't ask any questions. He went on. And it says, he took that step of obedience. He arose and went. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever impressed on you at some point the need to communicate with a neighbor or someone in your family? I don't mean to preach a message at them, no, but to communicate with them and establish a bridge of relationship. And you say, You know, I really need to do that one of these days. But somehow that one of these days never gets around. We keep putting it off. I challenge you this morning to think and allow the Spirit of God to help you see where are some of the contacts that you have because you all have contacts in your neighborhood, at work, in all sorts of situations, you have contacts, people with whom you associate in one way or another. And, and I'm certain that if we listen to God, if we're tuned into what He's having to say to us, we're going to be able to hear Him say, move toward that person. Just show them some interest. Show them that you care. Do something for them, a kindness, a work of kindness. Something Move in their direction. And you'll be surprised what's going to happen. We have some neighbors. And when we moved in, we met them. And we began praying as to how we could communicate with them and eventually seek to tell them about the Lord Jesus. It's a fine young couple. And little by little, We began establishing a friendship. I went over and did some repair on their uh, water cooler. I helped him with some projects he had. Uh, I've loaned him tools. In fact, he's borrowed some that he hasn't returned yet. But but that's okay. He will. But now we are talking with them about the possibility of having a a discussion group in which we understand what the Bible has to say about certain areas of life. And they're responding. They're open to the idea. It's just a matter of time and working out the details. But you see, that can happen to any one of us. It takes time. We've lived in that house over a year now. And through that year, we've kept doing little things and working and developing that relationship. And we've done that with some other neighbors as well. The point I am making is, each of us has contacts. And and God can use those contacts if we are listening. And God says, now, just go be kind. Be nice to them. Do something. Develop that relationship. Build a bridge. And eventually, it may be possible that the Lord will allow you To show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he wants. Well, Philip did that. It wasn't just good intentions. He did it. Now let's look further at the principles of the procedure that he followed. And here are some good principles for you and for me. This is the procedure that we can learn from and begin to utilize as we seek to do what we've been talking about. First of all, you remember the story now. This man from Ethiopia is riding in his chariot, and the Spirit of God says, catch up with that chariot. Go and talk with that man. He wasn't invited. Philip wasn't invited at that point. He took the initiative. He was courageous enough to take the initiative. Do you remember the words of God to Joshua? At the very beginning of that book, when Joshua was taking over from Moses, and those beautiful words that God gave to Joshua in in the first chapter where he says, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Philip took the initiative. God wants you and me to take the initiative. It isn't very often that someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus comes up to us and says, Hey, can you tell me how to become a Christian? Now, that happens occasionally, but not very often. It's our, it's our responsibility to take the initiative. Remember we said we are a chosen generation to show forth the glory of him who has called us, the praises of him who has called us into his marvelous light. We take the initiative. We, we move. And so Philip did. He moved toward the chariot. That's the first thing. Matthew 28:19, that passage that we use a lot about the Great Commission, it says, go and make disciples. But in the original language, the concept is, as you go, just as you live, as you walk, as you go, make disciples. It isn't some special charge that God gives us. He says simply, as you live, as you walk, as you go, wherever you are, make yourself available. Take the initiative. Make disciples. So Philip took the initiative. Secondly, he asked a question. He did not assume something. In other words, he wanted to know where that person was, where that That Ethiopian was in his understanding, in his thinking. So he asked him a question. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian, of course, responded. And Philip waited for the response. Now he got the response. And the next phrase is very important. He opened his mouth. Do you ever have trouble opening your mouth to talk to somebody about the Lord? when you know you should but somehow you just either lack of courage or a feeling that you're not you're not prepared or whatever it might be but Philip opened his mouth that's the initial step 1 Peter 3:15 you remember it says this be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you. To open your mouth and to let the Lord use your lips and your tongue and, and to speak just a word. I find I find that very often that's all it takes. Just a word and, and that person will open up or close, one of the two. It may happen either way. And so you accept that fact. Some want to talk and some do not. But our responsibility is to express ourselves, to say what God wants us to say in whatever way we can, to communicate. So Philip opened his mouth. Then the interesting thing is the next step He began where the man was. He didn't start where he was. You see, Philip by this time had a fair amount of understanding because he had been involved in the church in Acts in uh, uh, Jerusalem. He had listened and been instructed, and now he had been appointed a, a deacon, and so he had some understanding, but he did not start with his understanding. He found out where that person was and started there. If we can learn to do that, to ask the right kind of questions so that we can find out where is this person in his spiritual understanding and begin where they are and build from there. We'll have them with us because we started with the known and we're leading them from the known to the unknown and that's the best way to communicate the truth of the gospel. That which they know, wherever that is, How little it might be, and then leading them to the unknown, that which they don't know, the truth of the gospel. Philip began where this man was. Then, a vital part of our being used of God to seek, to set forth the praises of him who has called us. He used the scriptures, not his own arguments, He used the Bible. This man was reading in Isaiah. And so Philip explained that to him and undoubtedly used other passages that related to that as well. He used the Bible to help this man move from the unknown to the known. And the last thing that he did, and how important, he didn't tell him about the church, he didn't tell him about the great time they were having in Jerusalem. He didn't tell him about any of those things. He told him about Jesus. He talked to him about the Lord Jesus. My friends, the message of Jesus is such a glorious, delightful, remarkable, blessed story. If we can just remember to tell people about Jesus he is what he does that he came and died that you and I might have eternal life that he came and died and shed his blood that you and I might have forgiveness of sin forgiveness of sin what a tremendous blessing to have our hearts cleansed and have some of those guilts that we we experience removed and enjoy the blessedness of forgiveness that he came to give us hope now forgiveness and hope are two things that people in our society know very very little about very little and the reason there are so many people committing suicide is because they know nothing of the forgiveness of God. And because they have nothing by way of understanding of the hope of God. To tell them about Jesus Jesus, whose name is wonderful. He told him about Jesus. Now, one of the things we see in this story is that Philip was willing to be a worker, a laborer, a servant. Nothing special, no special preparation, just a willingness to say, here I am, use me. That's all. And God did that. And God continued to do that. Philip appears only one other time in the Bible, later in this same book, and he's called Philip the Evangelist. Apparently between this section and the time that that other is written, he had been used of God and God had developed this gift of evangelism that we see beginning to take place here. He had developed this gift and Philip had become an effective evangelist. But at this point, he was simply a person available to God, willing to do what God said. And God used him. Do you realize that when he gave the message to that treasurer from Ethiopia, the message of the gospel was taken to Ethiopia through that man, and that whole country was influenced and became basically a biblical orientation in their society as a result of that. Now, things have changed, of course, but that actually happened through that one man, a whole nation, And because Philip was available. Because Philip was willing to be a worker. A prepared instrument. Prepared in the sense that he's willing to be available. And a prepared heart. A heart that God has prepared. And when those two things meet, there's bound to be fantastic action that takes place. There are many, believe me, there are many, many, many prepared hearts in our society that are looking for answers, don't know where to turn. They don't know how to ask questions. They don't know what to do. But they, but they have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And all they need is someone to take the time to come alongside and tell them about Jesus. A prepared instrument and a prepared heart. And God does miraculous things when those two, when those two get together. You, you and I, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, to show forth these glories. This is not just something for a specially equipped individual or a specially equipped group of people. Go back with me to where we started in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 all who were scattered abroad all the believers it says wherever they went they preached the word my friends through the years we have developed in the in our church society our evangelical christian society we have developed all kinds of methods for reaching the world for Christ. And I'm glad. I, I think every one of them has its place. I think radio has its place. Television has its place. The printed page has its place. Public meetings and, and large gatherings have their place. But I believe with all my heart God's basic primary intended purpose in getting the gospel to the world today is through you and through me. Individuals who are willing to be this kind of a person, like Philip was. Here I am. Send me. Do you remember the story in chapter 4 of John about the woman of Samaria? Jesus met her at the well and they talked. And then she went back to the little village and she told the people all that he had said to her. And and when they said, well, who is this man? She had one, just one suggestion. She said, come and see. And they went out. And then they heard. And they responded because she was willing to be used. Come and see. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't try to answer all the questions. She said, come and see him. He'll answer the questions. That's what you and I can do. We lived in Ecuador, as I said, for six years. Some of you may not know exactly where Ecuador is located. It's on the west coast of the South American continent, just the second country south. Colombia is on the, in the corner there, and then Ecuador is next. Ecuador has uh, an interesting terrain. We lived up in the Andes Mountains at 9,500 feet. but As you go over the Andes Mountains, and they're very high, some of those are 25,000 feet. But as you go over through the pass, and I've done that on horseback and by foot, into the jungle, it's a totally different terrain because in the jungle, you have the beginning of the Amazon. The Amazon jungle. The headwaters of the Amazon River and the beginning of the Amazon jungle. And if you've never been in those kinds of jungles, it's hard to imagine what it's like. You literally have to cut your way through the vines with a machete, and within days that'll grow back again, and if you go back that way, you have to cut your way through again. It is a fantastic growth-oriented terrain. In that jungle, of course, live many Indian tribes, some of whom have been reached with the gospel. One day I went in, flew in with a man by the name of Nate Saint, who was the pilot of the Missionary Aviation Fellowship airplane, and we went to a little station called Makuma. This is the station in which they were seeking to reach the Hivaro headhunters. And I had the privilege of speaking to some of them that night. They came to the meeting with the heads that they had shrunk down tied around their belts. These are their trophies. They have this unusual procedure where they can take a human head, shrink it down to the size of an orange, and it does not distort the features. You can recognize that person. So there they were, and I had the joy of talking to them. (laughs) They came with their spear guns. Uh, They came in their paint. In their feathers, it was an unusual experience, but a blessed one. In that jungle, there was also, or is also, another tribe, simply called the Alcas. Now, Alca is a word, a Quechua word, which simply means killers. Every other tribe in the jungle was afraid of this tribe. No white man had ever been in there. One day, I was visiting another jungle station where Jim Elliott, some of you may know about Jim Elliott. Jim Elliot was working at that time among the Quechua Indians, a station called Shandia. And Jim told me that he and four other young men were making plans to try to make contact with these Auka Indians. A Stone Age tribe that had never been reached, never been seen by white men. Nate, the pilot that I mentioned, was one of these. And one day as he was flying over the jungle going to another station, he spotted the Auka Indian village. They, They move a lot. They're a very transitory tribe. They don't stay in one place very long. But he spotted it. So he came back and he told the men about it. For a long process, which I have no time to go through this morning, they made contact with those Aukas. By dropping a basket from the airplane, Nate Saint figured out at a certain altitude and turning a certain number of degrees, a circle a certain size, that as he dropped that wildly swinging basket at first, By the time it reached the ground, the vortex would have finished. Instead of this, it now would circle down and actually land without spinning. He figured that out. How high he had to fly, how fast, and how big a circle. And so they began dropping gifts to the Alka Indians. And one day, the Alka Indians put gifts in for them. A comb, a parrot... Some feathers, a gesture of friendliness. The men felt now the time has come. Now we can go in and make contact with them. And they did. And, and Jim had told me about this as they were preparing. We spent time praying together, and short time later Nate found a little a little shoreline on the river Kurarai, and he felt that would support the airplane. He could land on it. So what he did is he went back to his station, let some air out of the tires so that they wouldn't be as heavy and they would flatten out more and not get into the sand as deep. And he went in and tried landing, and it worked. So they began making their plans. They went in, finally, on a Friday. This was in January of 1956. He flew one or two in with some of their goods. They set up a little tree house. Eventually, all five of them were there. And they began began calling out some Alka phrases that they had learned from a woman who had escaped. Her name was Dayuma. She had escaped from the tribe. And she was now living among the Quechua's. But she remembered the language. And she gave them some phrases. And so they began calling out these phrases. And that afternoon, a man and two women came out of the jungle, across the river. And they came across the river and joined them, friendly. They sat down, they fixed some food, they all ate together, and they went to bed to sleep that night on the shore. The next morning, the man and the woman and the women were gone. They called and they they tried and tried and tried all day, Saturday nothing happened on Sunday a group of the Alka Indians a group of the men came out and the men were delighted but they were all speared to death on the shore all five of them five young men in the prime of life we think what a waste but God has his plan. As a result of their death, one of the wives, Elizabeth Elliot, whose name some of you know, went in to live among those Alka Indians with her little daughter Valerie, who was three years old. They accepted her. They told her the story. The killing had been an accident. The man that had come out had gone back and told him that these men were there to do them harm. And so they came out to protect themselves. But they realized as the men stood there and did not try to defend themselves, and they were speared to death, they realized that this man had told them a lie. And so they they performed their own justice on him. They drove a spear through his body and buried him alive. That's the way they handled those kinds of situations. So when Betty and her daughter went in, They accepted her because they realized that they had been wrong. Betty and the sister of Nate Saint the Pilate were able to translate a good part of the New Testament into the Alka language. And today that tribe is primarily a Christian tribe as a result of that entire proceeding. How does that apply to you and me? Are we ever going to go into the jungle of Ecuador? No, I doubt it. I doubt it. But... There are the concrete jungles all around us. All around us. And in many ways there are dangers there as well. And God is simply looking for people like you and me who will say, here I am. Here I am. Use me. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? I'd like to ask you to take a moment and just consider what we've been talking about. This story of a man who was just a layman, but who listened to God and who was willing to go and do whatever God wanted him to do. And my question is, has has God been asking you if you're willing to do that. If he has, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to stand to your feet and simply say, I'm available? I don't know what it'll mean. I'm available. I want God to use me in any way he He wants. You're saying, here I am, Lord. Use me. If that's your answer, why don't you just stand quickly right now, wherever you are, and I'm going to lead in prayer. Lord God in heaven, you see your children. You see their motive. You see the sincerity of their heart. I pray, Lord. I pray that you would take each life that has stood and multiply it for your glory. Help them, Father, to take the initiative to make contacts and to use those for your glory. And may many men and women come to a knowledge of the Savior as a result of these lives. In Jesus' name, amen.